Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Praise God. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And I want to say while you're turning there and you're getting your pen and paper out for the copious notes I know you're going to take, I want to just share a testimony with you. Sister Priscilla told me right before church, and we've been praying for some weeks now for her nephew who has had, and he's, how, how old is he? He's in his 20s, right? He's 20 years old and he's had... Uh, cancer and they've done surgery and this surge this cancer has a high probability of getting in the lymph nodes and 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 just being terminal and uh, they did the operation they went back and they checked and there's no cancer in the lymph nodes that's what we were praying for amen praise God isn't that all your prayer works because we've been praying and uh What's even better is uh, Sister Priscilla said that uh, her, uh, his mom said, and she's not a religious person, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God loves to get the glory out of these things. Amen. And so we're just going to continue praying. He doesn't have to have radiation. He has to have some chemo, but no radiation. We're going to pray for this young man. And uh, by the grace of God, he'll be a man in our hyphen group and and running these aisles and dancing and thanking God for, amen, saving him. Amen. Praise God. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42 will begin there, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. This Let me just say this, because I... Every once in a while, I hear um, a very ignorant uh, people will talk about this socialism as communism's in the Bible. That's not what that meant. That meant they had a common purpose. And when it came to the mission of the gospel, they were willing to sell and share what they had. There was no government coming and sticking a knife under their throat. All things in common meant they had a common purpose of the gospel and we're willing to sacrifice for it. Amen. So let's just, you know, kind of, I hate to use uh, actual scripture to ruin a bad theory, but there you go. Amen. <laughs> and all things in common, praise God. Well, man, I must have did a good job at the youth rally last Friday night because literally just got an invitation to preach another one. That's pretty good when you're in your 40s. It literally just popped up. Can you preach a youth rally for us? I mean, I didn't even see who it was from, but I thought, man, I didn't put that in my notes. Amen. I got to turn this notifications on sleep mode. There we go. Forgot to do that. Praise God. And parted to them all, uh, parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Amen. Uh, God's not pro-vegan either, praise God. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praise the Lord. Amen. That means it's good to get together and eat some meat. Hallelujah. Had a few dudes over the house on Saturday, and I 
smoked up four ribs and four racks of ribs and pounds of tri-tip and sauce pecan, smoked all the meat I put in there. And it was apostolic as you can get while we were cheering the hogs on, man. It was great. Praise. Well, I don't know about, you know, the hogs being apostolic, but praise God. <clears throat> Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. And I want to talk to you tonight about the power of connect groups. The power of connect groups or small groups are going to be interchangeable throughout this. But I want to talk about the power of connect groups and kind of put in perspective. I was uh, teaching the last couple of lessons uh, in our missiology class, and it deals with church planting and uh, missions work building. And one aspect was really focusing in on small groups, and it got my mind wandering back to some of our early days and how important it was being in homes. And I thought, you know, we've done connect groups for four years, but I want to talk about it again before we go into this fall semester from a scriptural perspective about connect group and small group. Amen. Lord Jesus, help us tonight. Touch our understanding and give us revelation of your word. May it be inspirational. May it be challenging. May it set things to priority in our life. And Lord, I ask you to do all these things by your spirit and in the power of your name. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. Amen. I want to say this um, from the onset that it's important for us to get an understanding and a revelation that, that small groups and connect groups um, are biblical. Amen. The church first grew from house to house, not sanctuary to sanctuary. I want to say that again. The early church did not grow sanctuary to sanctuary. They grew house to house. It spilled out of the house until it just, it, it just couldn't be contained within a living room anymore. Or, or they didn't have living rooms, bedrooms like we traditionally have now. But it just, it just continued to overflow. And when this house wasn't big enough, they'd move to the next house. Or they would split the group to a different house. And, and it just went like that throughout all the homes. And so that's how the early church, it, it wasn't until several decades after Pentecost that they began to assemble in actual buildings where they could uh, put large gatherings of people. Uh, for the first few decades, several decades, it was meeting house to house or meeting doors. Amen. Uh, they, they would occasionally gather where they could, but you got to remember there was incredible persecution on the early church, so they didn't hang a sign out over um, a big coliseum and say, you know, this is where we gather. I mean, that would be like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, they knew they were there, and they'd just go get them and kill them. And so they, they did it, they did it uh, undercover. They did it covertly, going house to house, breaking bread, eating meat, amen, and, and, and teaching the word of God. And having connection with people in that matter. Amen. A contradiction putting, is putting power and small together. We don't often think of things that are small being powerful. Uh, but things that are small can be powerful. An atom is invisible, but when, when split. Ask Nagasaki and Hiroshima what, what that can, little thing can do. 
it, 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 it is transformative. And so we can put small and power together because we are conditioned to believe that, that the power is always in big things. But the power is not always in big things. The bigger things are, the more powerful they are is the way we think, but that is not always so with God. Amen. Little is much when God is in it. Amen. Consider Gideon's army in Judges chapter 7. God's strategy for victory reduced the army from 30,000 men to just 300 men. Now, that, that, that was somewhat suicidal. Amen. It took that with 30,000 men, uh, if they would have faced the enemy at that moment, it would have taken, they were outnumbered, I believe, two to one. So one man would have to kill two enemy soldiers. And then it brought it all the way down to by the point where it got down to 300. It ended up being that it would take one soldier would have to kill over 3,000 men to win the battle. Because the power is not in, it's not in how big something is. The, the power is that God is in it. Amen. And that's, that's what we need to understand. Think about David and Goliath. Amen. David, David was just a teenager. And uh, if you look at the um, archaeological uh, structure of men at that time and, and, and of that ethnicity, uh, they were, he was probably somewhere between 5'2 and 5'6, somewhere in there. And then Goliath started somewhere at about 9'6. Man, that's a, that's a big discrepancy. But as I've told you before, the Bible said he was somewhere between 9'6 and 13 feet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 13 feet, all right? I'm just going to evangelistically take a little bit of liberty there. Amen. And so, uh, so that's a big discrepancy. But we know who won that fight, and we know who won that battle. And, and there was power with the small one, amen. If, every, if you were a wagering person, amen, and I hope you're not, but if you were, you would have wagered your paycheck on, on Goliath. You said, of course, he's, he's going to whoop him, amen. But that was not the case, amen. I, I can remember seeing, as a young man, seeing Mike Tyson uh, box some of the, um, how many of you remember Riddick Bow? I mean, he was huge. And Tyson's not a big guy. He's not a very tall guy. Uh, and he was outweighed, and he was uh, outstatured. But I'm going to tell you something. In, in that fist that he had, I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> he can take the lights out of a city with a short jab. He can hit. And so there, there, there's power in that. Amen. You, you go all the way back. to uh, Joe Frazier was the same way. Uh, Joe Lewis and, and different ones. They, they weren't very big as in height or stature, but they had power in their technique and they learned not to swing wildly, but take their power and concentrate it in a small box. Uh, uh, they, they called it fighting in a phone booth. They wanted to stay close because their power was in that small range. Uh, they got out of arm range, their power was greatly reduced. So the, the close proximity uh, to their opponent, the closeness, the smalling, the shrinking of the gap, gave them an advantage of power, and, and, and it works that way in, in the way of God. Amen. Bethlehem. Jesus was born in this little bitty town of Bethlehem. It wasn't a big city. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was just a little town, and uh, God used that little town of Bethlehem to incarnate himself in flesh, and Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He wasn't even born at the Best Western or Hotel Motel Holiday Inn. He was born in a barn, and a little one at that. 
Amen. He wasn't built in one of these, you know, you see all these, my wife gets the, uh, she loves the, uh, the, 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 the chips and Magnolia Market or whatever it's called. And she gets those, those magazines, you know, of Magnolia and Joanne, that's her name. I remember Joanne and, and. They got all these barns, you know, and, and on the cover, it's like, it's barn season. And they open the, man, and you open it, it's like, that's not a barn. That ain't a barn, that's a mansion. Let me tell you the barns we grew up with. I mean, they had snakes in them. They had rats that would eat cats. I mean, they had, uh, it, I, I ain't lying. I mean, you had asbestos just floating in the air. I mean, it, it smelt rancid. That ain't a barn. Man. That, that's, that's a penthouse. I'll show you what a bar. Jesus was born in one of them things. It, it did, you know, it didn't have the sweet little, you know, uh, old incandescent lights that just strung all over the place and nicely kept hardwood foot. No, he was born in a stinking fly infested manger. But something world changing came out of that. Something powerful came out of something so small. Five loaves and two fishes. What is so little? Among so many, said one of the disciples. But Jesus would take five crackers and two sardines, and he would feed 5,000 people. And that was just 5,000 men. That didn't count the women and children. Most conservative estimates say he fed well over 13,000 people with just some crackers and sardines. And then they had 12 baskets left over. Little is much when God is in it. Don't discount the value of small because we are obsessed with big. We go to the store and we want big. We want economy size, right? We get more bang for our buck. You, 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 you can buy a 12-pack of Coke. I don't know what it is now because I don't drink it. It's probably like $7 for 12 but you can get great value brand, 35 of them for five bucks, right? We think big, but I'm going to tell you something. Sam's Choice Cola ain't Coca-Cola. And Dr. Thunder ain't no Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm talking about now? Amen. Now, it'll do. It'll do. And, I mean, there's many times I've, 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 I've done that. But it just ain't quite the same. You might get more more volume, but, but that's what we're looking for is volume and not quality. And you, you, you get used to that and you, you realize sometimes it's worth paying the price for the right thing. Amen. And so there, there's power, there's power in small. We want big, we want big everything. We, 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 we want, I mean, my Lord, look, look at the meals we eat. I mean, really, when I bring people into America for the first time, they, and I'm not, I'm not over-exaggerating this, they are offended by how much food is brought out. They're, they literally are offended. I mean, they don't get mad at me. They're offended at the waste. And then we feel compelled because we've been taught, clean your plate. And we think, you know, today I had lunch. I've been wanting to try it here for like two, well, right before COVID hit, I found it, and I said, man, I want to try that. And I went today, and I tried, I think it's Father Pat Patty's. 
That was phenomenal. I'm Scots Irish German. It was the bangers and mash was incredible. And uh, they brought it out and, and I ate it and I, it, it was fantastic. And, and I said, Can I get a check? And she looked at me and she goes, Was everything okay? I said, Oh, it's inc- this is some of the best bangers and mash I ever had. And she looked at my plate again. said, you want to go, you want a to-go box? And I said, mm, not really. I mean, I, I don't like reheated mashed potatoes and sausage. I mean, I, I may be a little weird, but I, I think I can swing an extra fresh mashed potatoes. And I said, no. And she goes, but you really enjoyed it? I said, I'm telling you, it's one of the best I've ever had. And she said, okay. I ate till I was full. I just stopped, you know, I trying to get back into getting things under control, so I stopped eating when I'm full. Last night we ate somewhere, and I stopped eating when I was full. And she looked at me like, was it not good? No, I'm I'm full. (laughs) How about this? You take this off my bill, what I didn't eat. (laughs) People complain. I went to a restaurant, and they only gave me that much food. If you ate it all, you'd be full. We, we trick ourselves. We're like, oh, I, gotta, it's, I was full. And, and you bring people in from overseas, they're, they're, it's offensive to them. So, what am I going to do with all this food? To go eat it. So, I'm going to eat this for a month. Don't worry, we put enough preservatives in our food over here. It'll, it'll stay fresh and it'll stay in your arteries too, so don't worry about it. We got that all taken care of. Believe me, we paid off the FDA for all these chemicals we put in there. Don't worry about it. You're good. Amen. Amen. <laughs> They'll look at this. This is unbelievable. The amount of, I'm not talking about like I take them to claim jumpers or something. I have to just take them to Applebee's. They just look at that and go, how am I supposed to eat this? This is unbelievable. Because we think big. We think big pork. We, we think big everything. We, and because of that, you know, we got to have bigger cars and Bigger homes and bigger roads and, 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 and everything's just got to be big. I remember brought Pastor Sreema over his first time in America. And uh, he, he had been here about a week. And I said, I said, hey, what do you think about America? And he was just still just trying to process. You come from a third world country. And he's trying to, I remember one morning my wife came downstairs. And this was back before we had like, uh, you know, uh, instant calling and smartphones. He had his, his laptop and he was, um, to work that out. All right. Um, that was about the preaching thing. And he had his, he had his computer out and he was, had it turned around and he was videoing our cabinets in our house. The food that was in our cabinets. We don't stock up on stuff, folks. Y'all walk in our house, you would think that we were impoverished. We stock up on chicken noodle soup and coffee. All right? Because that'll get you through any sickness. Right? That's the main things we stock. And, you know, bottled water and stuff like that, right? Because I don't drink tap water. It tastes like chlorine to me. That was a problem where we ate last night. I kept drinking. Oh, this stuff tastes like rubber. I can't drink this stuff. And so he's videoing. He's going. And my wife walks in. She's quite embarrassed. And we're thinking to ourselves, we've never been one to stock, you know, floor to ceiling. But he was just overwhelmed with the amount of food in our home. And I was like, man, I don't think we went shopping last week. You know, it's, it's just kind of overwhelming. So I asked him, I said, 
what are you thinking about America? He said, wow. He said, the cars are big. He said, the roads are big. The houses are big. He said, the people are big. Everything's big in America. I ain't lying. It, it is. Amen. And I'm happy about that, too. I'm glad I live in a blessed country. Amen. And so, and so we, we, it, we got this concept that if it's big, it's not good. And unfortunately, we've allowed that to bleed over into the church. That if the church is not big, then something's wrong with it. I want to tell you, some of the most powerful churches I've ever been in ran under 100 people. Ran under 200. I've preached in churches of well over 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. They're great. It's I guarantee if you get somebody to walk from this section to that section, they've never met, and they've been attending 10 years. So they're attending a service, but are they attending church? So wait a second, Pastor, don't you want us to get to 2,000? Nope. I don't want a mother. I don't want one church of 2,000. Mm -mm. I, I, want, I want to have a mother church of about. All over the city. That's my dream. That's my vision. Let's have one large mother church. Now we won't change it out. I'm already out of it now. I tell you, I get this thing's an octopus. Just pull it. Just pull the thing. There. Amen. We'll have a we'll have a mother church five to seven hundred, and we will start. Satellite campuses all over the city. And we'll get about 10 of them running 200. Why? Well, why can't we just be the biggest? Is it the most effective? Is it the most effective? It, or, or, and look, this isn't a knock on anybody. Please understand this. Everybody's got their own vision and God has dealt with them and I trust what God has said. But are these mega churches, are they building the kingdom of God or the ego of man? Because how effective can we be? I want to be effective. I, I, I want to pastor a church where people actually know each other and like each other. Amen. Say, so, Pastor, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm believing for a church of 5,000. Me too, just not under one roof. And then when we have a waking conference and bring in all our satellite campuses, we'll have to rent Arco or something like that because there's not a building in Yolo or Solano that can handle it. I'm going to tell you something. People are, people are waking up and they're saying, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to go. Just if I want a relationship with God, I just want to go disappear in a crowd of 5,000. I want to make connections with people. I, I want to be connected to Jesus. Amen. Amen. We, we start running 500, 600. We're going to take 80 people and we're going to stick them on one side of town. There. There's First Church Woodland North. 
We get back up to 600, we'll take 80, and a pastor, we'll plant them over there as a satellite campus, and that's First Church Woodland East. We're just First Church Woodland College Street campus. All over the place. All over the place. Because I want to tell you something. People want to be connected, but they also want to be used. I don't want pastor church where we get 30 keyboard, competent keyboard players on a bench that will only play once every two years. Put them out in the work in the ministry. We'll have one church that, that now you got me talking vision. We'll have one church that's just, just completely traditional church for people that, that really what they want to do is kind of kind of go back old school. And that church will be led, and most of their songs will be out of the hymnal. It'll be right up their alley of what they want with worship, preaching the same doctrine, the same truth, the same message. Amen. And, and that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll plant them all over the city. We'll plant them all throughout Yolo County, all throughout Solano, all throughout Contra Costa County. Amen. All over. Be all over. That's because the power of something is not its size. It's is it God-ordained. So let's look at this from a scriptural text. Um, let's look at a background of this, and I'm not going to read all of these. I know I gave media ministry a ton of them. I'm not going to go through them. But there's a power of small groups. The power of connect group or small groups, it, it, it's established as how the early church was. And I've heard people say, well, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 3,000 were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized. Yeah, but it didn't say they went to church together. Matter of fact, if you want to follow a logical, theological train of thought, they were from all over the world, and they dispersed back around the world. They didn't go buy a building and hang a cross on it. They went to homes. Matter of fact, I know that because I read it in your text. It said, and they went house to house breaking bread. Amen. And, and uh, it records that the, um, the, there was an amazing growth of the first church, of the early church. It's believed that during its first 25 years that the first church in Jerusalem grew from 120 people to over 50,000 members in 25 years. Now, how many would like to see that kind of a growth? I would. I say, Pastor, that's the whole woodland population. Mm-hmm. Well, that was half of the Jerusalem population. Let's go with that. That's 25,000 people, 30,000 people. So I don't know about that, Pastor. I mean, where, whew, there ain't a building here big enough. You're exactly right. It starts in the home. That's how the early church did it. You see, the early church built relationships to one another in Christ, not to a building. Now, this does not negate, and I'll get to this in a minute, coming to church. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It's not either we have church in home or we have church in the building. No, it's both and. We both have church in the building and we both have church at home. Amen. We, we can do both as the early church did. So where did they put where do you think they put 50,000 people in Jerusalem? Put them in homes. They were divided up. 
Every home had a leader. They were, they were a small group leader. They were called a church leader. They were called a deacon. And that deacon led that home. And, and that deacon was then overseen by a pastor who was over multiple homes, who then that pastor was overseen by a bishop who was over multiple pastors, who was overseen by an apostle who was over multiple bishops. And he didn't sit up there wearing some goofy-looking robe and a white collar. He dressed like the common folks because the power of the church is not in the top of the structure. It's down here in the small. If you don't have a prayer life in this little part of your life here, you're not going to have power in the grand scheme of things. Power starts small. How many times have you heard us say this with connect groups? We want to grow smaller to grow larger. And I've got to get this mindset out, well, Ah, connect groups is something. If I got time, I'll do it. No, if, if, if you love Jesus, if you want to be a part of his church, then you're a part of small groups. So, Pastor, you're uh, kind of making it plain. Well, how else you want me to make it? This, hey, this ain't the news station. C- connect groups... It's not, it's not something that, it's not, a, you know, a, a ministry of the church. I'm going to tell you, until a church falls in love and flows with the concept of small group, they do not grow. Absolutely do not grow. They, you say, well, I know some, and they gained people. Yeah, where are those people? They, they weren't one. They were hyped. See, I want growth, not swelling, and there's a total different thing. There's a difference between growing and swelling. If your child wakes up, you know, and their arms are like this, and they're red and really hot to the touch, and they're in the mirror going, look at my arm. Look at how incredible this is. I got a burning fever. And I mean... If you're smart, you don't take pictures and put it on Instagram. Look at the biceps on my eight-year-old son. You take him to the doctor and say something's wrong. In a matter of a few hours, he went from having six-inch biceps to 18-inch biceps. That's not growth. That's swelling. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good because I'm telling you that I'm, I'm in the Word now. So we can hype them up with all the hot dog cookings we want to. That's not growth. That's swelling. Well, I've seen them. They baptize and people get in the Holy Ghost. Where are they the next week? That's all I'm saying. Are, are, we, are we discipling people or are we making twofold children of hell? Because God's not going to let us bring in. Um, let me go back to the text. Would you put up verse 47 of chapter 2? Because... Uh, I just want y'all to make sure I'm still in the Word. Uh, what does the last line there say? Would you read that aloud? And the... Such 
as should be saved. It didn't say God just backed up a dunk truck of souls and just poured it onto this little. No. It said God added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, God's willing for everybody to be saved. God's not willing for any man to perish. But I'm going to tell you what. There's some methodologies we use that are not biblical. It looks good on social media, but it's not biblical. I've seen people get baptized, didn't even know why they were getting baptized. That's when I wish I had a wooden pulpit. I'd sit behind and hide right now. I've seen people get baptized too high and too stoned, too drunk to even know what was going on. And we're real baptized. Are you serious? You can't even get a tattoo drunk and you're going to baptize somebody? Amen. I, boy, I'm sorry the Bible just throws a wrench in the spokes of that right there. We're, gonna, we're just going to baptize everybody that says they want to get baptized. Well, they need to know why they're getting baptized. Call me old-fashioned. I think they need to repent. I don't just start palming heads on everybody that walks through the altar and start praying for them to speak in tongues. I want them to repent. Why do I want them to repent? Because God wants them to repent. The first part of salvation was repent. We don't do that. We say, all right, everybody repeat after me. Are you serious? Are, are we doing the sinner's prayer now? Re repeat after me. Uh, Forgive me, Lord, I've done some bad stuff. Okay, now you can receive the Holy Ghost. Really? I thought repentance came from the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I came to God, man, I, I felt filthy. Nobody had to tell me to feel filthy. I felt filthy. The convicting power of God moved on my life, and I went, oh, 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 oh I'm a sinner. Nobody had to convince me, okay, listen, you're a sinner. See those track marks in your arm? Shouldn't be there. Alcohol you're addicted to, shouldn't be addicted to it. All this junk you're doing, shouldn't be doing it. Don't you feel bad? No. It's fun. We're trying to convince people things are bad when they think it's fun. You can't do that by word alone. The Holy Ghost has got to convict them. Amen. That's, we, don't have, we don't have a lot of conviction preaching anymore in our churches. That, that's why we do the double switch on them. You know, we'll get them baptized, fill the Holy Ghost. We won't tell them there's any commitment past that, and then we'll flip it on them at the last minute. We'll kind of, we'll kind of just jump up on them and jump out of the bush. Boom, holiness. Oh, oh. But I've been coming two years. I think I ought to just abide by it. What kind of a strategy is that? We ought to let the Holy Ghost convict people. Get back to preaching repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance, and it worked. Jesus preached repentance and it worked. The apostles preached repentance and it worked. How, how should we be any different? Now, I'm not talking about just up here land blasting people the whole time. You bunch of wretched, filthy scumbags listening. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about preaching the word to where the spirit of, we should sing songs like shine the spotlight of heaven on my soul. Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Amen. We, there needs to be that, well, pastor, you know, people don't want to hear that, but then they're probably at Osteen's church right now. They probably get their religion off the internet. 
because they're not getting it from the Bible. I, I, I was taught, matter of fact, I told you a couple of guys I've been uh, witnessing to and built relationships with through, through media, and uh, one of them's a trainer of uh, professional athletes out of uh, San Antonio and Austin, and uh, we were talking today through video, and uh, he said, he made the statement that he said, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've said the sinner's prayer and given my heart to Christ. And he said, I feel like I've been cheated. I said, because you have been. <laughs> because you can't find any of that in the Bible. Number one. Now, we'll say amen to that, but will we say amen to the next part? Because modern-day evangelism says, well, just give your life to God. He'll make your enemies your friend. You'll feel better about yourself. You'll, people will feel better about you. You just have such a blessed life. Hmm. I think Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll be hated of all men. Um, they'll hate you for my namesake. Now, we don't go out looking for the hate. You know, you'll go around with a megaphone blasting somebody's face. If you do that, I hope they jam that megaphone in your mouth real hard. That's just rude. We don't do that stuff. But the, the point is the word of God convicts the heart of a sinner. I think we ought to give time, people time to repent. We're in such a hurry. Oh, we got a sinner in the altar. Come on, come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, receive, receive. Receive what? They're filthy on the inside. They haven't cleaned anything up yet. That just might be shocking, but it's in the book. I don't care what the UPC or any other organization says. I'm in the book. We're just in a hurry to get them talking tongues so we can chalk a number up on the board. Oh, we had this many. We had this many. Really? Are they staying? Because look, I'm not some Johnny come lately. I've been doing this 22 years in full-time ministry, and I'm going to tell you, the people that stay are the people that repent. Well, man, we've done all the hot dog barbecues and everything in the past. I ain't never going to do them again because they all run in there. You hype them up, and they talk in tongues, and they never come back again. I found that they're just mimicking everybody around them. They just want that hot dog. They want you to hurry up and give them whatever they came for. And you don't ever see them again. Why? Because they didn't repent. They never... They never, we never gave them time to clean their heart out. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached the gospel and said, you crucified Jesus. He didn't say, you just need to you accept the Lord as your personal Savior. Repeat after me. One, two, come shake my right hand. Sign this membership over here, and then everybody's going to love you, and he'll make your enemies your foot. He never said, he looked at me, you crucified him. And the conviction was so strong, what was their repentance? What, what was their response to it? Oh, the Bible said they were pricked in their heart. They were stabbed in their heart. And they said, oh, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not against feel-good preaching. I would like to think I, I do that from time to time. But my Lord, when we're preaching the gospel, it can't always be about just stroking people's ego. You're a pretty good person. You just need a little bit of Jesus. No, you're not. A, I'm not. A, none of us are good people. That's what Jesus said. Well, you've got a good heart. It's pretty decent, but you just need to give it to the Lord. No, it's deceitfully wicked. 
everything you've been doing into your life up to this point is not going to save you. Only Jesus can save us. So let me repent. That means die, turn away from what I was. Amen. Now you can tell I'm on a candy stick and I'm trying to hurry because I'm talking about the power of small groups. I would rather see people baptized in small groups than in a church service. Well, that's not how I grew up in the church. Well, that's how they did in the Bible. They didn't wait till Sunday afternoon to baptize everybody. Man, they repented. If they had repented and they were making their confession of wanting to serve God and, and give their life and devote to him and repent it. They said, man, who can forbid water that these might be bad? Well, pastor, if you don't baptize them, will it be valid if, if I baptize? Are you, you got the Holy Ghost? Your sins repented? You, you living for God? Do you believe it? Well, dunk them. Because I'm going to tell you, you're looking at one pastor who don't think I have to be the bride at every wedding. I don't have to be the bell of every ball. If, if you're teaching a Bible study and they want to be baptized right then, they're seeing it, they're repenting, God's convicting their heart, baptize them in the name of Jesus. Well, Pastor, I ain't never heard anything like this. Yep, because we have taken ministry from the people and tried to put it all on the platform, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. The church was most effective when it was house to house. So I don't know, you know, I'm not comfortable. If you're not comfortable with it, call me out. I don't mind. Amen. Where, show, by the way, show me the Bible where it has to be the pastor. It's not there. You're telling me those martyrs that gave their lives to God that, that were in prison and converted prisoners in the prison and baptized them in the sewage of the prison because it wasn't the, you know, the ordained pastor that all of a sudden it wasn't a valid baptism. And I'm not taking away the role of the pastor. I mean, I'd be cutting my own legs out from underneath me. But let's think about this for a minute. The church was most effective when it was small group oriented. Amen. There's a need for the building. There's a biblical precedent for the church building, and we're never going to cease from that. But we've got to get a biblical revelation and passion of what small group is. Amen. I, I, I've said it before. I'd rather you invite somebody to your small group than invite them to church. Why? Because they're going to make a connection with you. I'd rather you invite your that person to your small group than and invite them to just a Sunday service because I want you to make a connection with them. I want you to build a relationship with them. I remember in Vacaville, we did this several years ago. I kept telling them, don't invite them to church when they get to connect group. Invite them to the next connect group and then to the next connect group and then to the next connect group. So we had people getting baptized that had never stepped foot in our church or had only stepped foot in our church once. And they're still there because it's built around relationship. Amen. And so the answer is small groups. It's getting a revelation to grow larger as a body. We have to grow smaller in our effectiveness in reaching people with relationships. Can you say amen? Amen. The answer is it, it, it tells us in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42 tells us they met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They went house to house. 
They went house to house. The evangelist in the early church, in the first church, went home to home to teach the gospel, to preach the word of God. Amen. First church were the base for all ministry and fellowship in the book of Acts church. It was the base of everything. Look, everything ought to be built on relationship. Amen. Relationships with one another and relationships with other people. Amen. Now, we couldn't put everybody into one small group or even three small groups. There's not enough facilitators. We have to set the stage now, build the structure now to understand that we are going uh, uh, to get centered around this to where my home is always going to be a place of fellowship. My home is always, I thank God for 242. We have a great time at 242. But we need to take 242 into the home. That's what the basis of it is for. Amen. So what, what's the idea? Uh, I did, well, smaller is better. 10 is better than 12. 8 is better than 10. Small. And keep multiplying. When your small group gets to about 12, then somebody in there take the initiative and have a small group in their house and then let that grow and multiply. That's how the early church did it. We've had people that are a part of our connect groups that I've not even met yet. Though a few years, uh, a couple years ago, they were they went through one of our whole semesters and never even came to our church. They just loved the, the connect group and, and what we were teaching, and they wanted and they were having a connect group. We have people that have connect groups at Starbucks in their homes. We have them that have it at Chick-fil-A. They have it at um, uh, the pizza place. They just have it everywhere where people can fellowship and connect and build a relationship with one another. So what's so powerful about small groups? Well, number one, small groups are a powerful way to grow spiritually. The Bible says again, and I'm reading in the English version, English standard verse, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So can you grow spiritually and not be in a small group? Well, I mean, I suppose you could. But that's not the question. How can you spiritually grow, but how can you grow spiritually without a Bible precedent for that growth? Being a part of a small group is a tremendous part of that. Uh, how, how do you know you're good at a certain sport? Right, I mean, unless you're playing paddle ball. How do you, how do you know you're good at a certain sport? You, you compete. You play against other people, Right? Remember the old Kenny Rogers song about throwing the ball up in the air? He said, I'm, I'm the greatest hitter of them all. And the little boy threw the ball in the air, and he swung and missed, and he said, strike one. He said, I'm the greatest hitter there's ever been. Threw the ball up in the air, swung, missed, strike two. He said, I'm telling you, I'm the greatest hitter that's ever been on the face of this earth. And he threw that ball in the air, and he swung with everything he had. The ball hit the ground, strike three. And the little boy said, Man, I didn't even know I could pitch that good. So how do you know you're good unless you, you play with other people? I remember a guy in, in, in school, and I'm not going to say his name just because everything you know, can get online now, but we'll call him Walter, all right? Because there was no Walter in our school ever, so nobody will know who this is. And uh, Walter, he, he man, he was... Uh, he wanted to play football really bad. Man, he, he got all the helmets and the pads from the J.C. Penney catalog every Christmas. And he put on his, he was in his front yard playing football. And I mean, he was talking a big game. Well, eighth grade rolled around, and he finally got his uh, mama to sign his permission slip. 
for football. He wasn't a small guy. He was a pretty good-sized guy. And, man, he was just talking smack about what a great football player he was. He'd put on them pads and run around the front yard and throw the ball in the air to himself and roll around on the grass. I mean, he, he thought he was, just, he was just the greatest thing ever. Well, when he strapped on some real pads and we ran drills and we did blood alley, and that's where you stand between two rows of teammates, hold the ball, and two linebackers hit you as hard as they can. You try to hold on to the ball. Well, Walter wasn't as good as he thought he was. Matter of fact, they had to whip out the smelling sauce to wake him up. He wasn't as talented as he told us he was. He wasn't as strong as he told us he was. He couldn't run as fast, jump as high. He couldn't throw as hard. He couldn't cut and juke like Barry Sanders did on TV on Sundays. When he got out with other people, he was actually quite pitiful. Our Christian walk is the same way. If we're by ourselves, we have nothing to measure our growth by. We have nothing to measure our development with. If, if you're living for God, but you can attend church and live for God by yourself. People do it all the time. They come to church on Sunday. They come to church on Tuesday. And they have no significant relationship with anybody outside these four walls. But church growth is built on personal relationship. Everybody say personal relationship. Amen. Consider uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Look for somebody that's got wisdom and is full of the Holy Ghost. And they were talking about turning over the responsibilities of ministering and, and, and leading these home groups and building a fellowship network together in the church. Let me clarify something about small groups being used in a powerful way to grow. Small groups that are done right are a powerful way to grow spiritually. So let me clarify that. Small groups that are done right are a powerful way to grow spiritually. When you do a small group, you're not trying to come together and have Sunday church. But I promise you, your people won't come back. That's why we, we, we set an easy structure. You just push play. We teach the lesson. You have three discussion questions. Put out some food and, uh, you know, or some chips and dip or something like that. But don't expect them to use potato chips to dip in salsa. I posted about that today. I think there's something unnatural about using Lay's potato chips and salsa. I'm sorry. But that's like eating cold pizza or drinking cold coffee. I don't think it's natural. You know, when God made pizza, he made it hot. Amen. <laughs> when God made salsa, he put tortilla chips with it. That's somewhere in there. I'm sure second book of Paul or somewhere. Salsa belongs with a tortilla chip. Amen. But it's important that that structure is laid out, that it's centered around people. We, we've done connect groups before in the past, and we were starting them, and I would give them a lesson, and I would do these little surprise, show up and find out. Some, some people weren't teaching the lesson. They would literally stand up, and I'd walk in, and they'd have their lesson. they go, well, I know your know, pastor gave us this to teach, but I'm feeling really led of the Lord to, 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 to teach on something else tonight. And I would tell them afterwards, you got a different God than me? I prayed and fasted for that. I put that lesson in. That's what God wanted to talk And you want to get up and talk about it? Or some of them get up there and, you know, have tambourines and they try to shout and dance all over the place. That, that just freaks people out. 
you, you know, I love Hezekiah Walker, but if you turn that thing up all the way, start beating tambourines and dancing all over the place, and you've got unchurched people in your house, they're going to go, these people are weird. And they already think you're weird. I mean, you're going to dial the volume up on that suspicion. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to have a Sunday bucking and shouting church in our house. We are trying to connect with them through the principles of God's word and through building relationship. And it's a powerful thing to build a relationship. Amen. It's so very important. So small group done right is a powerful way to grow. And by small group done right, we mean there's a healthy balance of Bible, fellowship, uh, ministry, outreach, and worship going on in that small group. And we have a picture of small groups in the Bible, and I'm going to uh, hurry through this. Uh, we have a picture of small groups just, at, just as being led by someone as it did in the Bible. But you don't really need a small group if you only want to study the Bible. You, you don't have to have a small group. You don't have to have a connect group just to study the Bible. You can get together for Bible studies. That, that, I think it's a wonderful thing when people get together on their own time to study the Bible, to, to watch a, a, a DVD series or, or, or a teaching series or study a book together. I think those are wonderful things. But what we can do is understand that going to a small group is like going to a gym. It's a place to exercise your spiritual muscles. It's a place for you to work and grow for the kingdom of God, amen? The Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy 4 and 8 through 10, bodily exercise is a right, but spiritual exercise is much more important and is a tonic for you all, uh, for all you do. Uh, so exercise yourself spiritually and practice being a better Christian because that will help you not only in this life, but in the next life too. This is the truth and everyone should accept it. A good small group helps you apply the Bible you read every day into the area of your life. Uh, secondly, small groups are a powerful way to grow relationally. We need to grow relationally. It can't just be this way. It's, it needs to be this way that we are growing and connecting to one another. Amen. You, you can't really get to know other believers unless you do it in a small group setting. You don't get to know people in church on Sunday and Tuesday. You don't even get to know people once a month at a 242. We need these small groups to grow uh, together. Amen. Other believers can't get to know you better unless you are in a small groups. And you, you say, well, I can, you know, I think I can do it without a small group, Pastor. You know, I, I just, I'm going to stick with what I've been doing just Sunday and Tuesday. I'm fine with it. Well, consider a marriage where you only see each other on Sunday mornings between 10 a.m. and 12 noon. Then throw in an extra two hours on Tuesday night just for fun. Not going to work. Right? We're talking about relationships of eternity, okay? And so uh, it, it's something that's so very important to us. Let me tell you what else it does, and, 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 and I'm going to uh, land the plane on this. It, it, it gives us accountability to one another. It gives us accountability to one another. We, we put out a sign-up sheet asking people to facilitate a connect group, and it's so easy to do. You say, but I am so busy, and life is busy. We've got to slow it down for the kingdom. We need to do church on purpose. Does that make sense? Do church on purpose, not as an accident. Just showing up Sunday, Tuesday. Do church on purpose. I mean, man, our young people, they're in church three or four times a week. 
They're on fire for God. Maybe we ought to pick up on that sometime. Connect groups once a month, six times a year. Six, I want you to put that in perspective. It's six times a year. Two semesters where we do it three times. We do a spring semester and we do a fall semester. What I'm wanting you to pick up on is that it's not only a biblical uh, uh, encouragement. It is something that we do as believers that we go house to house breaking bread and ministering one to another in fellowship. Amen. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. We want to see people experience both reconciliation and renewal. And small groups are a way. I'm a, there's a lot of people that won't come to this church. They don't want to come to the building, right? Their priorities are not there yet. For some people, Sunday is their day off, and they don't want to get dressed. They don't want to come to church. They've had bad experiences with church. They don't like church, but they like you. And if you can take church to them in a setting where they can learn of God and connect to you and connect to other people in the church. So if you're not facilitating or hosting a connect group, you need to be attending a connect group. It's that simple. Either host it or attend it. It's so important because they may have a guest, they may have a neighbor, a friend, a relative that comes over. And I've watched it happen so many times when somebody that's never been to this church goes to a connect group and they meet other people in the church and then they show up in the church on a Sunday and they see people they met at a connect group, they light up. It's like, wow, I don't feel awkward being here. I know people here. That's the idea, to connect to one another, to be united together in a small group. Amen. Let's stand together right now. That's what I wanted to talk about tonight. We're starting to connect groups in just a couple of, not this Friday, but the next. It's right on us. I want you to, to prayerfully consider to host one. And if you don't host one, find one of them. We're going to have them listed over the next week. We'll have them put up where you'll know where they're going. Find one that you can go to and that you can connect with. It's so important that we are uniting together outside these four walls. The way to grow big, we got to grow small. We've got to grow small. The church grows better outside these walls than inside these walls. And it happens by opening your home or taking it somewhere to facilitate. Get your coworkers, get your relatives, get your neighbors to connect through a connect group. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord right now? Lord Jesus, I pray that as your word shows us, teaches us, instructs us, guides us on how we are to be and where we are to go and how we are to grow, I pray, Lord, that there's a desire that gets a hold of us, God, not only to see just a larger building or a larger congregation inside of a sanctuary, but Lord, a stronger connection within the body of Christ. 
more than just a church fellowship on Sunday and Tuesday, but a church connection outside these four walls. Lord, I pray there is a familiar connection, Lord, a, a family uniting, oh God, through connect groups. I pray you would use it, oh God, to multiply and to advance your church in the city of Woodland. Lord, I'm praying for connect groups in Esparto. I'm praying for many connect groups throughout Woodland, many connect groups uh, uh, throughout all of these areas and Knights Landing and all throughout Davis and Dixon, Lord. I pray there are homes and places that open up that your word can be taught and your church will come together and unite and that we would realize and see truly the power of a connect group, the power of a first church early church biblical concept of growing the church in the home and through the home. Lord, we want to be effective in reaching this city, oh God. I pray there are house churches all over Woodland in the next year. Lord, I pray mighty revival grows out of our connect group. I pray people are baptized out of connect groups. Lord, I pray people receive the Holy Ghost in connect groups. Lord, I pray entire families and communities are one and, and come to know you through salvation, through connect groups in the name of Jesus Lord that is not something we have to do but God it is something we get to do to take the church beyond these four walls and bring it into our living rooms and bring it into places where people can connect oh God Lord help us reach the backslider help us reach the sinner help us reach the single mom help us reach the business executive help us reach the homeless help us reach the addict God and help us do it by bringing bringing church to them by bringing the power of the gospel to where they are in Jesus name hallelujah 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 thank you Jesus can we just clap our hands to the Lord right now and just thank him for it amen 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 now listen a lesson like this we don't you know it's not something you can pray down it's something you activate in your life I want you to pray I want you to make a commitment not to me but to the Lord and say Either I'm hosting one or I am attending one. But it is my priority. The last Friday night of this month, my priority, I will either host one or I will be there. And I'm going to get somebody to that connect group. I'm going to bring somebody with me. I'm going to invite as many people as I can. I'm telling you, when it activates, when it catches fire, it won't be just once a month, six times throughout the year. It'll activate and it'll start happening every week in your home because revival will break out in your home. I want to see, I may want to baptize somebody in your swimming pool, in your bathtub, in your jacuzzi, or in the creek behind your house. Amen. It happens through Connect Group. So go connect in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a sign-up sheet available or will be. Amen. Avail yourself to it. Pray about it and let God speak to you about Connect Group. Tell five people before you leave, I'm getting a part of Connect Group this month in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.